You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-year-plus partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. We were looking into the ability of botnets to be communicating over encrypted channels. That's Monir Hahad. He's the head of Juniper Threat Labs at Juniper Networks. The research we're discussing today is titled Mossad Stealer, Exfiltrating Using Telegram. What we realized is that uh, as we were running some of the known ones into our sandboxes, we ran into this one that looked a little bit different because we did not expect communications with the Telegram web server. And Hmm. we figured, hey, this looks interesting. Let's dig into it a little bit deeper. That led to this whole uh, discovery. Hmm. Well, just for folks to be clear, what is Telegram? How does that work? Telegram is an end-to-end encrypted chat and messaging communication. It has been developed for a number of years and is very widely used. It's estimated that the number of Telegram users today is about 200 million users worldwide. It's one of those applications like WhatsApp that claims to be an encryption end-to-end and therefore is uh, kind of uh, shielding its users from any spying eyes. 
And it has had a lot of notoriety lately, especially that it has been banned in Russia, you know, presumably because the government was not able to spy on uh, uh, the people it wanted to. So that kind of brought it to prominence. Mm. Well, uh, let's walk through the research together and, and uh, let's start off. Uh, what does Mossad Steeler do? So the Mossad Steeler is a Trojan. It comes in via other applications and sometimes fake downloads. You're downloading something that you believe is an application you're looking for, and you end up downloading either directly or inadvertently bundled with other applications, this Mossad Steeler. Uh, once it is installed on your device, Mossad is, is going to try to remain persistent in your device, basically uh, being able to survive reboots. And it is able to snoop around your device and find interesting pieces of information to exfiltrate. Things, you know, the simple stuff like, you know, the type of device you're on, a lot of that is kind of uh, run of the mill. But then it is capable of looking into files and into your browser data, and it exfiltrates that. So, for example, it is able to look at all your form field data, including usernames and passwords, and it will collect all of those and send them to the controller of the bot. And in addition to that, it is able to exfiltrate files from your desktop or from your Telegram data as well as from certain applications that are used for simpler FTP file exchange. So for example, FileZilla is one of them. So it will look for files you have downloaded over FTP. Now on top of that, it has a clipping feature which can look at your clipboard. You know, when uh, you're copying items from one application to the next, you copy a sentence, you want to paste mm. it somewhere else. This Mossad dealer is looking for certain patterns that look like cryptocurrency wallet addresses. And as soon as you've copied one of those, before you paste it into your destination application, Mossad will replace it with its own string for its own wallet. And what that does is it allows the Mossad dealer to basically have funds transferred to its own wallet instead of, you know, whatever destination you were meaning it to be. Hmm. Could it inadvertently flow in the other direction? Could I accidentally take money out of Mossad's wallet? No, that is not possible because typically before you can move currency around, you need to be able to log in into your account with your particular wallet. And you will not be able to do that with the Mossad wallet because you don't have, you know, their password. Um, so that's not possible. It only flows in one direction. The other direction is more likely to cause errors during the exercise. I see. And it also includes uh, the ability to zip the things that it's going to exfiltrate? That is correct, yes. There is a current limitation of about 50 megabytes of the files that is being extracted. So it is able to compress all the data it is interested in in order to send it to the control bot. And it does that using the 7-zip utility, which actually comes bundled within its own binary. Hmm. And then how does it go about sending the information out? In order to send that information, it still uses the Telegram application. The Telegram protocol itself is very powerful, and it allows using a, an API, an application programming interface, to do file movements. So it just sends the file 
to a Telegram user, which is hard-coded within the binary itself. And that way, the recipient receives the file. Just like, for instance, if you were a Telegram chat user and you wanted to send a picture to the person you're chatting with, it uses pretty much the same API. Because it's using this API, if I'm a regular user of Telegram, this wouldn't show up in my interface or anything. This would all be happening behind the scenes. That is correct, because you do not actually need to be a Telegram user for all of this to happen. Hmm. The malware author is using the Telegram infrastructure, but it basically uses HTTPS, just like a web browser would, to go through an intermediate proxy for the actual protocol that Telegram uses. So from all intents and purposes, you do not have to be a Telegram user to be affected by this particular malware. But if you were to be a Telegram user, your exposure is a little bit higher because it gives access to all your Telegram data to the bot operator. Hmm. What have you learned that's going on with the command and control servers? Well, what we have learned so far is that there is a number of them. It's not just one or two. We know that there are about 338 unique bot IDs. Now, that can mean one of several things. Either the same threat actor has deployed multiple campaigns or that multiple acquirers of this uh, malware are using it each for their own purposes. And uh, the third option would be that the same threat actor in the same campaign, in order to make it a little bit more difficult to follow the tracks, is starting to use multiple bot IDs for potentially multiple purposes within the same campaign. So what, what that tells us is that it is fairly used out there in the wild. And we know for sure that there is a Telegram group that has been specifically created for customers of this uh, off-the-shelf malware. And that mm. alone has about 318 users or members into the group. So that says either these people have purchased the malware and are using it, or at least are interested in purchasing the malware. Now, uh, usually when this kind of a group is set up, it's in order to provide some sort of a customer support to the uh, acquirers of the malware, but we don't know for sure. We've found the malware being bundled with about 15 popular downloads, usually downloaded applications. Mm -hmm. So that tells me that the uh, exposure is fairly high. Some of those applications even happen to be typical utilities that come with Windows, um, but for some reason, sometimes people wouldn't want to download them again, and you would end up with the Mossad Stealer bundled into that same application. So we're still doing some work. We're not completely done with analyzing the, the uh, infrastructure that these threat actors are using, and we may be able to have some follow-up in the near future about our findings. Now, some of the versions of this that you've been tracking have the ability to download additional malware? That is correct. It's very typical from a Trojan perspective to have this ability of being modular and being able to download updates or additional malware. The ones we have seen so far only download crypto miners, and it's usually a Monero miner. So effectively, if there's nothing interesting to steal from your laptop, they will use it to mine cryptocurrency. I see. Now, uh, take us through what you're seeing in terms of this being advertised and sold on the online hacker forums. 
Well, that's the part where we don't have a lot of information, but what we have mm. seen so far is that it is clearly advertised. The project exists. It even has a uh, its own dedicated website called uh, Masad uh, Life. And we've seen quite a bit of uh, activity from people interested, not the least being the creation of that, you know, that Telegram group with 300 plus people that are interested. So, you know, if you're into the underground forums, you would definitely see the offering. And, and we can tell that a lot of people are interested in purchasing this piece of malware. Mm. So what are your recommendations in terms of people protecting themselves against it? You know, the usual protection for the general public is be extremely aware of where you download your applications from. A lot of people, unfortunately, get infected because their kids, for example, are looking for some game hacks um, or, or simple applications to do certain things very quickly. So you have to be aware that most of those applications that are available for free, there's usually a hidden cost behind them. Sometimes that hidden cost is something like massage stealer. Sometimes it's cryptocurrency miner. Sometimes it's a ransomware. So you have to be extremely careful. You need to make sure that you have a good antivirus installed on every one of your endpoints. That's from a consumer perspective. From an enterprise and a business um, perspective, it should be looked into from the angle of a network solution because the use of a protocol like Telegram should not be something that's commonly used around businesses. So mm. there are plenty of next generation firewalls who are capable of identifying communication meant to be Telegram and you should be able to block that communication entirely. In addition to that, most of the next generation firewalls, including the one that Juniper Networks has, offer the ability to do advanced threat prevention and uh, using machine learning, what we have discovered is that most, um, actually all of these samples that we found would be detected by machine learning approaches. So you know, customers need to make sure that they enable the advanced threat prevention as in any egress points that they have to the internet. What is your estimation of, of the sophistication of these folks? You know, it seems like it's relatively sophisticated from the point of view that they're reaching out to using a protocol that not a lot of people have used for command and control. But at the same time, it's not extremely sophisticated. Like, for instance, the method that is used for persistence is relatively easy to find and detect and remediate against. So to me, this is an average sophistication level. I think that this story is still unfolding. We have seen those crypto wallets being used quite a bit recently. And we know that, for instance, this operation has been going on for a relatively long time since we've seen some people victimized as early as June 18 of this year. And it's funny, we, we know that because somebody actually had some funds transferred from his cryptocurrency wallet to one of these wallets, and they believed it was by mistake. So they posted it online and said, hey, this operation happened by mistake. If you don't mind, please return my, my funds back. Hmm. So, and that has <laughs> happened in June. So that operation has been going on for a while. And given the interest, my suspicion is that we'll see more campaigns using this malware. And given the variety 
of samples that we have seen, we know that it's in active development and we're going to see variations of it that are going to try to do a little bit better in terms of sophistication. Can you give me some insights as to what happens for you as a researcher when you're trying to track something that is off the shelf this way, where you could have lots of people buying this and, and putting it to use for themselves? What are the methods that you use to try to differentiate uh, different groups who might be using the same tool? One approach that we take, for example, is trying to follow the trace of the money. Um, most of these samples do have multiple cryptocurrency wallet IDs embedded in them. Uh, they're not all the same. So uh, out of, um, let me try to remember, I think we've seen somewhere along the lines of uh, 15 or 18 different cryptocurrencies. Uh, mm -hmm. You will find that in one sample, for example, there will be three or four different wallet IDs. And in the next sample, there's going to be four or five but if you try to overlap the cryptocurrency wallet IDs between the two samples, it is not a full overlap. So you will, you will find that maybe one wallet ID is the same, but the others are different. So for us, if uh, looking at all the samples that we managed to get our hands on, if we are able to overlap all the cryptocurrency wallet IDs, we can probably draw a map on the number of different threat actors that are involved in using all those samples. So that's one of the approaches we use to identify whether it's the same group doing all of this or whether it's totally different groups. Our thanks to Munir Hahad from Juniper Threat Labs for joining us. The research is titled Mossad Stealer, Exfiltrating Using Telegram. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.